This is a global original podcast. Hi and welcome to Confessions of a Modern Parent. The podcast where my husband Mark and I discuss the challenges, difficulties, frustrations and ultimately the joys of being parents and step-parents to four wonderful, talented, beautiful daughters aged between 25 and 12. And here we are again. Sorry for the brief absence in our in our podcast series. Um, I've sorted out my health, my cough, everything else, so we're here. And this is a really long, deep, meaningful chat about our teenagers living in an anxious world. And I, I think we tackle a lot of subjects here, don't we? A lot. I mean, we've only just finished it, and right at the end, it's our daughter that yeah. you know is recording. And and, and I have to say, it's left me a bit. Jangling. Yeah. Anxious? It's a lot. Yeah. No wonder our kids are anxious. We're in a very anxious world. We're anxious as parents, you know, so... Are you yeah. anxious? It's a, good, it's a good old chat, a good old chinwag. Wow, it's blowing a storm outside, so if you hear crashes and... and Claps of thunder. It's Nadia farting. <laughs> um, yeah, wow, was, it's a yeah. beautiful storm. Look at uh, that. Suddenly. Welcome, welcome back. Sorry we've had a strangely enforced absence from mm-hmm. our weekly confessions. And uh, I, I always hate the... myself when I haven't delivered the show. We, we've, we've had the horrendous cold, could the it be COVID, cold. that everybody had. And Mark's cough was so bad. Just One that you can manage the other stuff that we do, but for a podcast it doesn't really work. So here we are. We are back, and actually, this is this is something we were going to talk about a few weeks ago, weren't yeah, we? Yeah, lots of you guys have sent in some really meaningful comments, responses on social media, and I know a number of you have been waiting for this podcast to land because I think it's really key. Our last one was about uh, back to school burnout, um, and you know we're experiencing that for the first time in many years. But this is about uh, I saw this piece in the Times a, a number of weeks ago. And this is a podcast about how to raise your teenager in an age of anxiety. Mm. And I thought that was really good because this is about, rather than talking about the anxious teenager, it's, about, it's more about those things in the world that quite justifiably and understandably cause anxiety mm. and how you steer your kids mm. through it. Because I think mm. there's often this, this idea that the snowflake generation or kids are allowed, they've got the language of mental health and, you know, every child is anxious and every child has panic attacks. Um, but actually, when you pivot and look at it the other way, well, let's look at the world. I mean, only, only today, I'm in a state of anxiety because I can't put fucking petrol in my car. Mm. You know, there are a lot of things going on and there are a lot of things reaching a sort of critical point. Mm. Climate change, COVID, they've been through a lot that the world is a very anxious place. Mm. And we were anxious before that. I mean, it's just interesting having one of our kids back at school and hearing her talk about the other people, the other kids that are very anxious, the other kids that are having panic attacks. And I suppose in a way, when our kids have been anxious because they're homeschooled, we've kind of felt, even though we are mental health advocates and we talk about mental health all the time, I think a little part of us has gone, is it only our kids that are like that? And and it's not... It's funny, the other day, one of my kids said said to me... um, Oh, well, I said to this, this person had asked them to do something. I was asking them how they're feeling. And she just automatically said, well, that's not good for my mental health, so I don't do that. And I had, I had a split second of prejudice. Did you? Yeah. I went, what do you mean? Why, what, what do you mean mental health? And then I literally had to slap myself around the face. Because what she was actually doing is thinking and talking in a way that we've taught her, which is to say... My mental health is exactly the same as my mm. physical health. Mm. So if she'd said to me, oh, somebody asked me to do some crack cocaine, and I yeah, said, yeah. no, sorry, that's not good for my physical health, wouldn't yeah. think anything of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she has now got the language, she has got the ability to say, mm, that actually, what she was actually saying, that'll probably stress me out and really worry me, and I will want to get on with my schoolwork, and I don't want to be worried about that. And I just thought, wow, 
in that achievement, I've now got to go over another bump to like accept that achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and and you know we, so so for us, it, it's our journey. Inverted commas because I hate saying that has been about trying to get them to uh, odd girls to identify what they're feeling. You know, at the moment, I'm doing a whole course with Ruby Wax about okay, you feel anxiousness, mindfulness. Where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your tummy? Do you feel it in your chest? Do you get tingles all over your body? Because by noticing how and when you feel it mm. you can you know maybe do something about it and and so when I think when people say oh snowflakes and our kids have just got this language we've got to kick against that a bit because it's the language we kind of wanted them to have mm. but I think they've kind of moved a bit ahead of actually what we're advocating sometimes well, do you know I what mean, I mean I think so I don't think they have moved ahead. I mean because that if they've moved ahead that suggests that they're kind of not particularly authentic in what they're no, saying no 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 they're quite the opposite in that what we've what we've tried to instill in them mm. they are putting into practice but sometimes it's a bit of a shock oh I can't do that right. I'm looking after my mental health yeah and so there's a little bit of well isn't that a yeah, bit dramatic think... what do you mean your mental health why are we saying that what will people think if you're talking about your mental health what will people think of me as a parent if you're an anxious child you know all that stuff is coming up in a different way but I do think a lot of adults and a lot of parents uh, listening maybe will feel that because the language and because it is there because we've kind of taught them that mental health is as equivalent to physical health I'm talking about all kids not our kids not just our kids um, that there is a feeling that it could be manipulated and it's a go-to and it's a kind of a justification in some senses for behaviour that in the past we would, dis would have been considered just temperamental, naughty, you know, things like that. And we're going to get onto that later about well, like, sort of well, like, school anxiety yeah. as a specific thing, school anxiety yeah. being a thing. Well, like, like we would have been as children. I mean, you know, you... you you know, you very bravely talk, you know, about and have consistently shared about your mental health. Mm. And it's been brilliantly helpful for so many people. But I know very well how difficult your feelings were when you were a child, that mm. you had no one to listen to and you had no words for it. Mm. And if you had had who knows how different maybe your adult life might have been. Right. So, you know, when we say, oh, we're worried that children could use this now to get out of situations again, well, like we always did with our physical health. I mean, I was an absolute genius yeah, of getting, feigning everything. <laughs> I was running the thermometer under the hot tap. I was, yeah, I put, I put chicken soup into the toilet and then flushed it <laughs> so it would look like sick. <laughs> you know, it's always, yes, there's always yeah. going to be that, that. That's a good point. I mean, all kids are looking for ways around the system. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean you dismiss it's, all kids. Exactly. Um, I mean, one of the things that struck me as surprising is, going back to this, you know, in an age, living in an age of anxiety, being a teenager in an age of anxiety, and this isn't compromising anyone in saying this, because I think this is probably symptomatic of most schools, but I've been shocked and amazed by how many kids are struggling that we hear about I know. from our daughter. And, you know... We can talk about Kiki briefly because we've talked about this in the past. You know, she's struggled with social anxiety. She's struggled with school anxiety. We'll talk about that again later. She would have um, been called a school refuser. Yeah, and we'll talk about that later. Um, she, we would have characterised as, a, a, you know, her sort of not worse, but her lowest point as a, a child that suffered with extreme anxiety. And isn't it interesting how she seems to be, at the moment, more robust than a lot of her other friends at school? There's a lot of kids at, in the school who really struggle. There's anxieties, there's panic mm. attacks. There's... I think she does a lot better than a lot of adults I yeah. know, never mind yeah. school. And that and we... That's because of the language. That we... That's because of the language. Yeah. It's, it's because I, I, I have spent, and you have, you know, in all different ways, hundreds of hours mm. of helping her identify how she feels mm. and then give her tools to cope with them. Yeah. And that has been hundreds of hours. Oh, yeah. So, and, and that has been one of the great luxuries of homeschooling. So she's now gone back out into the world and she's, she really is, in lots of ways, though she's still getting anxious about things, is, 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 is the proof in the pudding, you know, that she's that it's, it's working for her, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. But I think it's something that we can't ignore. I think, you know, there are lots of kids out there really struggling. They're in an anxious world. Now, this article that I saw in The Times pivoted and focused on 
one of New York's top psychoanalysts and parenting gurus, mm. Erica Commissar. And she's Because it will still be online if people, if you yeah, want to read yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. article, it's an interesting article. Uh, and her book is called, I love this because there's something very powerful about this kid's story. It's called Chicken Little. Her book is Chicken Little, The Sky Isn't Falling, Raising Resilient Adolescents in the New Age of Anxiety. Now, I just want to say this just briefly. Chicken Little was one of the stories I really identified mm. with as a kid. And there was a particular copy, and I can remember the drawings, I can remember the strange sort of almost Nordic um, illustration of the chicken. And I remember being captivated by this story because it must have resonated for me on a level that this fear that the sky is falling in, I, felt, I couldn't mm. shake that image mm. that the sky could, could I used fall to, in. I used to ask all the time, what if the roof of the house blows off? Well, it won't. Yeah. No, but what if it does? What if the roof... And I used to be petrified of mm. this. Now, that was that old-fashioned parenting. Stop being silly. Yes. The roof won't fly off. <laughs> you know, it's that... I mean, I mean, you know, we we are both people that actually have had a, a lot of anxiety. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And we've suppressed it, and we both spent long periods of our lives self-medicating with alcohol. Mm. I mean, you are and the diagnosed alcoholic, mm. but... Before I had children, I was I was very close to that, yeah. and and that was a way of of, of medicating my my anxiety. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas now, if our children said, "Oh my God, I'm scared the sky's going to fall in," we would say, "Well, what 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 is there anything else that's worrying you? You know, are you feeling a bit anxious? I suppose at the moment, you know, there's a lot on the news. Is there anything in particular that's caught your or, or that your friends? Is there something that you've seen on Snapchat? Is there? And we go through a great long list, yeah. don't we? Usually, well, of what are the things that could be triggering this feeling that the sky could fall in? Now, well, this this woman, Erica Commissar, who's written this book, she um, she kind of goes through a number of sort of not, not necessarily saying this is what you should do, but a number of thoughts and recommendations. Yeah. Which we're going to unpack a lot of which about. I agree with actually. Um, well, yeah, and, and we're going to unpack, unpack those and see, you know, analyse their relevance and, and all that kind of stuff. I think one thing that I would say, we've talked about drugs and we've talked about alcohol before on this podcast. I think it's really important that we understand that given the high level, I mean, I do think there's a difference between what we were going through and what this generation has, is going through too. I mean, oh, gosh, we, can, yeah. we can constantly, as grown-ups, kind of say, oh, climate change, da-da-da. It's a real concern to the younger generation. And it's a real concern, not actually on a level that they feel they can do anything about it, but on a sort of capitulated, sort of bleak, apocalyptic sense. They all just think it's kind of hopeless. Yeah. It's kind of hopeless. Now, that's all right for us because we'll get to the end of our lives. But for them, it's a very real concern. So I don't think one can well, minimise also, climate change yeah. as a major part yeah, of all of it. Which we, we, we did a podcast on that a few weeks <clears> ago. <throat> and it's a major, major... The, yes. the, 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 this feeling of, like you just said, the sky falling in. Yeah. Well, here Literally. we are. Literally, the sky yes. is going to be falling in. Also, the massive use of weed, the massive use of weed is creating very young people... Um, huge problems with anxiety. It's an epidemic. Well, no, and that, that was really the thing is. I was going to say is we have to understand that most of the negative byproducts, such as too much drinking, though too much drinking is only the drinking not happening in pubs because it's so expensive. I mean, in a weird way, as an alcoholic, I think if they were to kind of lessen the price of booze in pubs... It might be could, a bit better. Yeah, you yeah. go back to our generation, which was a bit more like, if it's happening in public rather than all happening in houses mm. or in parks... Just, just share a bottle of vodka before you go out now, because <laughs> when you get to the pub, it's £9 it's, a pint, and yeah. we can have one, one the whole night. So I think we have to understand that a lot of those societal problems are coming from this issue of anxiety and teenagers living in an anxious world. Um, there's some really and interesting... let's not even mention the pandemic and parents well, being worried precisely. about money and fuel and... And an education system that's broke, that's where broken. even if you achieve the highest grades, you're not guaranteed anything when you come out yeah. other than debt by going to university. So let's just start with that and also the fact that they have these little, you know, these little machines, these phones yeah. that show them everything that's going on in the world. Our kids have seen all kinds of things that we didn't even know existed at that age and I'm talking about awful things. So if that's our starting point yes. of understanding, yeah. then we're going to have huge hearts and empathy but for But we'll them. understand why things are a bit jangly. I think that's such a good word, jangly, because mm. things are jangly enough as a teenager mm. and I think things are infinitely more jangly for this generation and, you know, the one before and the one coming than it ever was for us. And just one other thing. 
And I know that the people, we might all dismiss this, we all eat so much more junk food, mm. right? Uh, people are undernourished with good food. There's a lot more junk food about. Kids can order that world into their bedroom. And add to that, now with a child back at school, the fact that I didn't realise this, and you get 45 minutes exercise a week. Yeah. So there's, there's very little play. There's very little community. There's very, the things that used to hold us together, mm. there is... There is there's a lot less of that. And, you know, the amount of times in our children's, you know, peppered through our children's conversation is, oh, well, so-and-so smokes that because of their anxiety. Yeah, yeah. They smoke weed because of their mental health. Yeah. And now you think, oh, my God, you've all got this so mixed up because yeah. actually it only makes everything worse. Exactly. And I think it's really important to know that, that you know, rather than just as, as, as a generation of adults, and if you're a parent, it just as well, it's just intolerable that they do this. Well, if you just think it's intolerable that they do this, you're never going to get to the bottom of the problem. The NHS figures uh, have got record numbers of teenagers being prescribed antidepressants. Oh, God. It's nearly a quarter of a million prescriptions for the drugs that were issued to children between 5 and 16 in Jesus. just 2020. This is antidepressants. And the number of prescriptions issued to secondary pupils has risen by 23% in the past five years. And for some people, that will be absolutely the right thing for them. But I fear that for many, that will be a talking therapy would have got them through. Don't you think? Medicating yeah. children because we don't have enough resources. Yeah. It scares the shit out of me. This woman, Erica Commissar, uh, make, as I say, makes a number of uh, sort of observations and recommendations or thoughts about helping your kid through anxiety. Um, and she uses this phrase that parents need to be a safe container for their teenagers' feelings rather than a sieve. Mm. And I, I think that's about, you know, when they express fury and anger or frustration or fear or... One of the most difficult things with teenagers isn't their outward expression of emotion. So when they don't tell you anything, so, so it's that God, in internalization, and you can see written all over oh, their faces, oh. all going wrong, and, it's and you'll say, terrible. "What's the matter? Yeah. Nothing." Yeah. And you just, but you. Oh, sometimes I've practically been on my knees, just saying, "Just tell me whatever it is." And I do. I regularly would say to the girls, "If it's the worst thing that anyone could possibly imagine." I'm not going to be cross. Yeah. If it's the tiniest thing you could possibly imagine, I'm not going to be frustrated. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to think, how can I help you with this? Exactly. Because sometimes the thing is, we can think it's something massive and actually they feel embarrassed that it's something too small to be that upset about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that can, and, and you know what it's like. Even the smallest of worries can drive you to, to drive you to drink. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and then she goes on to say that as, as a parent, the most vital ingredient to being a parent is empathy. Mm. Empathy, rather than, and that's not that's not to say you don't set boundaries and rules, and you say you know you don't identify unacceptable behaviour but to empathise with where it's coming from. And in a weird way, that's what I'm saying around, say, just the simple act of smoking spliff. You can either just be cross at it happening or you can choose as a parent, which is very hard. I'm not saying this is easy, and we, we've not managed to do it on several occasions. You choose to try and understand and empathise with the child as to why they're doing it. I mean, for example, I can really empathise with a generation that has gone through the pandemic and COVID turning to substances quickly to numb their feelings. We've all done it. As adults, we all do it. There are many people last, who don't nice believe Nice glass of rosé, nice gin and tonic. And teenagers do drink. I mean, yeah. the majority of, of teenagers do, and we do try and have that conversation. Well, we've had an ongoing conversation for a long time, haven't we, yeah. about alcohol, because of obviously your alcoholism. But, yeah, that doesn't mean... Maddie doesn't get absolutely annihilated sometimes because she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we just have to cross our fingers a lot of the time. Absolutely. Well, her first recommendation is not every child... Can I just ask you, what do you think can, the difference between container and sieve is? Um, I think you need to hold, hold the information. You need mm. to hold it, think about it, whereas a sieve, it just passes through you. You let it go. You don't deal with yeah. it. You don't, you don't cradle it. I think what she's saying there is that to empathise is actually to embrace and hold what someone's feeling, whereas to be a sieve is to let it just literally pour through you right. and, and, and the child feels that you're not listening. You're not yeah. taking it in. I mean, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I've made, I used to make, but I've learned through therapy and through, you know, 
reading a lot of stuff is. And I always did it from the best place in my heart, but it was totally the wrong thing to do, is that they would tell me something and I thought, and I would completely empathise. So I would tell them something that had happened to me similar so they didn't feel they were on their own. But actually, that's now, all the advice is not that. Mm. You don't say, oh, well, when I was a girl, da-da-da-da, because actually you're taking away their feelings. I I could kick myself. I just didn't know that, and I did that. You just have to... You know, the thing that you say, I can imagine... I imagine that must be... I'm hearing that that's very difficult for you. That That... That sounds like that that could possibly make you very sad rather than saying, oh, God, if that was me, I would be because you're taking away. And I suppose that's another way of sieving their feelings rather than sitting with them. I remember the first time a therapist said to me, "Um, so in here, I'll be holding you. you." And I remember thinking, because she's not going to touch me. (laughs) Because that's how ignorant I was to the feeling of being emotionally held. Hold you emotionally, and I think that's my understanding of the container. Let's hold you here so you can have these feelings, you can talk them through, and I want you to move away from me, but still with the feeling of holding you. I couldn't necessarily sort it all out. I can't fix it, but I'll hold the feelings. It's really interesting because what we're talking about is is identical to what I'm discovering and learning on on this counselling course that I'm doing where it's not about necessarily solving the problem because more often than not you can't solve it and you're trying to help your child to find their own solutions or resolutions Mm. or often, I mean let's not beat around the bush this is the thing I think a lot as parents certainly I make the mistake of thinking that you have a problem and there is a clear solution. Yeah, well, all parents want that. Yeah, that's well, what, that's we, what want. we want. Oh, my God, right, let me sort this out. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we kind of put the pressure on ourselves to think we have to give our child an answer that resolves the problem. And in fact, you know, some of these problems, it's not about getting to an end of a problem. You have to pass through the problem, learn to live with the problem and know how to negotiate that problem the next time. And just doing this counselling course, what you do, what the rec- you know, what I'm learning to do, is that you don't advise, you help them open up. And in the opening up, there's both some kind of healing and and peace that comes from that, a problem shared, but also that they'll begin to see in their own way what's going on. And that perhaps they can find. So you're facilitating. Yeah, you're you're facilitating rather than fixing. I think that's yeah. a really good way to a good word switch. Mm. How can I facilitate? Like I've had to really turn a great big truck with this because I grew up in a family. Have you got fuel in that truck? <laughs> I grew up in a family, you know, with a great cultural mix. You know, my father's Arabic, my mother's English, but very quickly things would go. La, 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 la. Things would get very high very quickly, mm. and so I grew up. With this coding that to go into into like tribal parenting, like, right, let's get this all sorted out. And, and that's a very addictive feeling. And actually what I do now when I talk to my girls, and it has been very hard, is I say, well, what do you think? And, and I, I'll say, you know, many, many times in the past when we've had conversations, I've been you know, amazed by what you've already said. So let's see what you think. And then if you want me to tell you what I think, then we can. And oh my God, it makes such a difference. Yeah. It makes such a difference. And, and my girl said to me years ago, mum, you always want to fix it. I don't want you to fix it. And I didn't know what they meant. And yeah, I carried absolutely. on with the way I was. I, I remember, you know, I can't remember which one of my four girls saying, you know, it's making me not want to share with you because all you go into is a, is a frantic fixing mode. Not you, I mean, yeah. us, a frantic fixing mode. Well, we do that as a couple. Yeah. You know, absolutely. you'll tell me something that's upsetting you and I'll go, right, okay, because it hurts us. Yeah, yeah. And we want to move on from it. And we don't want this person that we love to be sitting in this in this, in this this unhappiness. And so we're trying to sweep a dustpan and brush it up really quickly. Mm. But actually to really care and to really love is actually to sit with that person in where they're feeling. Absolutely. And and actually another counsellor said to me, you know, quite a good thing to say to your to your child, or I suppose to anyone that you love, is is a, this is this is this this sounds like this is very painful for you. You know, it's gonna pass, but yeah. but at the minute it's really uncomfortable. Exactly. Well, it goes against everything as a parent. Yeah. Because right from a tiny age we would pick them up and sort everything yeah, out exactly. really quickly. Exactly, it's yeah. like a natural instinct. Um so empathy as a parent is a, a, a recommended. Uh, being self-aware, she says. If you're constantly worried or self-critical and perfectionistic, 
mm. it's more likely that your children will be anxious yeah. and self-critical. My God, I've fallen foul of that. Yeah. Um, I'm self-critical. I'm a perfectionist. And... Uh, <laughs> And you still feel the sky's yeah. going to fall in, and you yeah, say, I, it. I, I, "Yeah, I can do quite well." I mean, I don't feel it profoundly all the time, but well, I mean, Christ, it's the dark clouds of depression, bipolar, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the 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 sky has fallen in at times. It's not mm. that it is; it's about to or it could. It has now. <clears throat> you know, I think that's really important to be self-aware. You know, self-awareness. My God, you know, it's so easy to plough through life not challenging yourself, not thinking about how you've been. And we're all busy, we're all stressed, we've all got other demands, we're all worrying about all these other things. So I think we can let ourselves off the hook that we don't manage that all the time. But, but we also have to... Ref- yeah, but, but I think so. You know, all my faults, all the things that I find most, most frustrating about myself, when I see them played out again to me by my daughters because of the way that I am. I try to have that understanding and not go, oh my God, your room is an absolute tip. When all they've ever seen is my room is an absolute tip. You know, my inability to organize, though sometimes I can be laser focused and organized like a crazy person. I'm also, and they, they, you know, one of them is very like me with that. You know, if she's on a mission with something that she's doing, wow, she can be very focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say which one. But then she can also be as chaotic as me. And I I had one period of my life where I realised that that was very uncomfortable to see back. And I, and I sort of almost had resentment about that. But now I have complete empathy for that. Where she picked that up? Mm. You know, she picked that up from me. And we have to, we have to as parents... Look at ourselves quite starkly in the mirror and go, Where was I culpable in this behavior with my yeah, child? Yeah, yeah. Because we can't just take the good stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> also, just as we're talking about this, you know, spare a thought. I, it's weird, this actually. Sometimes I forget that I came from a, a one parent family. You know, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, and so, you know, full credit to my mum. She was doing jobs. She was trying trying to pick me up when she could pick me up from school and all that kind of stuff. But when you have an only parent, you know, and only parents listening to this right now, and you can, let believe me, you can be an only parent in a marriage or in a relationship. Yeah, I sure can. Um, you know, uh, it's that much harder for the parent to do and achieve all of these things because you're oh. working at twice the speed, you're trying to cater for everything. And so, you know, I don't think one should beat oneself up if you can't manage self-awareness all the bloody time. I mean, oh, that God, would be no. really frustrating. Um, the, the next recommendation from her, <clears throat> or suggestion, is to show that kind of teenagers, we've done this, show teenagers that A-stars aren't everything. Um, you know, the unconscious messages we send are, are, are critical, you know, insofar as if we sort of make out that financial or academic achievements are the be-all and end-all, you know, you're going to get all sorts of problems with your kids. If and, also, and also, if you put at the end of, of, of that, the promise that life will just go swimmingly if you're an A-star person and then it doesn't and we know that from talking to some of um, you know the young people in our lives it's very very hard so you yeah I think trying to manage what you want your child to do for how it reflects on you and what actually is right for that individual child like you may have a child that is never going to be an A, B, C person but might be a D person and works uh, incredibly hard Hmm. that is incredibly sex successful that's success that would and it's just like who is trying to work out who is determining determining (laughs) what success is have you been sold apart by the world you live in actually work out actually how you feel what you feel that your individual child's success markers would be, and not to be dictated to. I also think, you know, she, she uses the word average. If just being average, you know, if average equals failure to you as a parent, this is going to absolutely plague your adolescent. And I agree. Mm-hmm. Isn't it weird that we put no value on doing okay? I know. Isn't it weird? Imagine I mean, everyone zero value. <clears throat> I mean, we put <clears throat> zero value on it. You either, if you fail, you fail. That's bad enough. 
But in a weird way, even failing is better than being... There's a glamour to failure. There's a glamour to failure. Yeah, exactly. There's some sort of, you know... Oh, he just gave up completely. Yeah, absolutely. If somebody's tried hard and they're just average... Why is it not okay to be average? Why is it okay not to be average? I've been average my whole life. And though I've had some very dark spots, I've generally had quite a happy life. Yeah. I'm quite happy with being average. But I think the real (laughs) challenge for that side of things, that sort of achieving and all that, is that we live in a culture which is all about success, 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 get to the top, earn the most, succeed the most, aspire the most, get the best, you know, all this kind of stuff. And actually, it's They even really made A's. Hard. Even A's weren't good enough, so they made A's star. star. And now they're going to make A's star stars. Oh, I for mean, God. It's ludicrous. These poor kids. They're just it moving the goalposts. No it doesn't make any bloody um, sense. But uh, I've lost the thread of what I was saying. What was I going to say? We, we, we uh, were saying about, you know, what your... She oh, was saying the difficulty about, as a parent yeah. is managing the realism of the world ain't waiting for you. You know, I think there's a real danger, and I think this is something that lots of kids discover when they come out of university. Within the world of university, you know, if you're doing well, or even if you're not doing particularly well, you can be a big fish in a small pond, you know, you can, and you can feel whatever it is you're doing, if you're in any way ambitious at university, and a lot of kids aren't, they just go because it's what people do. Um, If you're ambitious at university, you can think, you can easily think, ah, I'm qualified to the hilt. The, I'm going to land in the world. And then you land in the world and absolutely no one well, says anything. The world wasn't waiting for no you. No one asks you what your yeah. degree was. No one asks you what you got. And no one gives a fuck. It's you've like, come so into this industry and do a job. No, I'm just saying it for myself. I'm saying No, no, but I'm that. saying when you say you've never been able to yeah, tell anyone you got a first because no, no, nobody's ever no, asked. No one's vaguely interested. <laughs> and then they say work for nothing. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck was that all about? <laughs> um, so, yeah, but it's hard, isn't it? Realism. And... I try with the girls to say, look, you've got to be realistic about this. You know, the possibility for success here is this. What's the backup plan? What's this plan? Da, 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 all this kind of stuff. I really like the next suggestion, which is show them that anger or sadness isn't off limits. It's not always wrong. It's well, not... it's anger is... Uh, we had this last week, didn't we, with me being told I shouldn't be angry with yeah, something. Yeah. And I've been upset for days because I didn't know where to put this emotion. Yeah. And then I was just talking upstairs. I was just doing a little film, actually, for Instagram upstairs. And I was thinking... I was. Three days ago, I was told not to be angry and I've been trying to work out what to do. And actually, today on Monday, I've settled with the fact I'm angry. (laughs) Now, when you lose control and people can then use that against you, that's a different thing. But saying to your child that anger is a valid emotion is a big step because anger is scary whatever your relationship is with somebody, you know, with your partner, with a friend, with a parent. But when your child is angry, there's a loss of control for a parent that's a bit scary. And so we do want to shut up anger. But actually, anger is hugely... Absolutely. ...hugely important. I mean, a few weeks ago, Maddie was very, very angry about something. And she she got so angry, she had a temperature. (laughs) (laughs) A temperature went up to whatever it was, and it just stayed there. And we just kept saying, are you still angry? We just kept allowing it to... But I was scared shit. the heating off, it was that hot. Where is this going to end up? But actually, out of the end of it, she actually wrote this amazing text to this person that she was angry with and it was like wow you were just working that through you were physically working that through your body yeah yeah. um Um, don't confuse she says don't confuse structure with strictness very rigid strict parents produce very anxious children which is interesting because we're quite the opposite of that in many regards. We've been we, too far the other way. Yeah, but we often kick ourselves through it. It's quite nice. Let's just park our failures and let's just have a look at all the strict parents that we've often come across <laughs> and go, ha, 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 you two are making the same bloody problems. Because I do think there's a sort of... Yeah. I get annoyed by this. There's a sort of virtue in being strict. It's like, and, and I'm going to have to mention this because it drives me mad. Also in the workplace, if you are looking like you're having a good time, which I often did with my crews at the BBC, you'd see the rest of the office looking at you like you weren't What's working. wrong with you? Whereas you were a great producer of content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, we just have a different way of doing it. We want to enjoy doing what we're doing. And so, you know, there's this sort of slightly virtuous, well, I'm serious and I'm sort of miserable and I've got a stony face. Similarly, parents, if you're overly... I can see why. If you're overly strict and rigid, then your kids... 
you know, mm. being and a that comes from isn't a, a rigid yeah. thing. And that comes from a place of fear yeah, often of when course. people are very strict and rigid because it's very, very scary being a parent. We actually took our foot too much, definitely off the gas, because the very important word here is structure. Yes. And our children didn't have enough structure. And, of course, that was much more difficult because they were homeschooled if they'd been going to yeah, school. Yeah. So we, we do often talk about this where we have failed them with that. But, you know, it's not the end of the world and it's not the end of the world if you're a bit too strict and it goes a bit... Well, she she suggests rules are important, but we also need to know when to relax them. It's pointless having this absolute strict rule every morning, sit down, have your breakfast. Like she says, if one morning they don't want breakfast, just make them a wrap and they can take it with them. You know, it's kind of a flexibility, but she does say... Yeah, that's a good word, flexibility. flexibility. Because you're teaching them to be flexible in life as well. And as she says, it's important to have some rules. You need boundaries and structure because a lack of it can create anxiety too. But we, as, as I say, you need to know when to uh, relax them. And this is, we're going to get on to um, comments from people. This is an interesting one. Um, don't make your 12-year-old independent, because that can create such pressure if you're trying to make, make oh, them, I, make them I, interdependent. I loved this one, yeah. because I think sometimes we as parents can be terribly proud of saying, oh, well, my daughter's doing this yeah. by herself and then she's doing this by herself and, then, and, and they're not ready. No. I mean, I remember Izzy after, after she'd finished university and, of course, she'd been ever so excited about going to university, but she said, I realise now I was too young to leave the nest, which was so interesting, yeah, wasn't really it? Yeah, really interesting, yeah. Well, she says, and there's this interesting uh, dichotomy, she says, there's a difference between giving them opportunities to be self-sufficient and then abandoning them emotionally. Mm. And and that's a really important thing. I think as parents, say, with empty house, um, you can just go, oh, they've gone, thank God, I can just forget. Or even, oh, they're at the school gates, they've gone to school. I mean, we're feeling a little bit of that. I mean, I'm feeling a little bit of, oh, I don't have to worry about the next science. Oh, God, module. so do oh, I. Oh, my God, I don't need to worry about it. It's really nice. It's really bad. Yeah, no, I feel bad, but, but actually... Oh, when they go in a sleepover and you yeah. oh, all right, then bye. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's weird because you're actually always on a heightened sense of awareness. Mm. You're ready to respond and all this kind of thing. I mean, I think because we've had them with us for six years, it's, it's all right that we feel a little bit of that. But you can imagine, I mean, I think a lot of parents do feel that. They, you know, do want to over-encourage their kids at a young age. And I think that definitely did happen to Izzy, I can think of him specifically, Mm. especially on an emotional front. I think Mm. whilst all the shit was going on above Mm. her, there was an assumption that she was emotionally mature and coping. I mean, one of the things that this, this woman says in this article, which is very, very difficult for working parents, but she's, she's, she really comes out of the box on this one. She said, you need to be there. Yeah. You need to be there when they get home. You need to talk. You, they need to have somebody to talk to, which yeah. I thought, oh, God, well, yes, of course, that's true in an ideal world. But that's also very difficult for parents to hear that just don't have that luxury yeah, yeah, yeah. because they've got to work. So I would suggest, because she doesn't really give an alternative to that, but what I would say is, you know, is is to give a certain amount of time. So if you're getting back at work from seven, you start, and you know, if you start this at quite a young age and it's called, um, we used to call it worry time. I wish we'd called it something else actually because that, that's quite a negative connotation, but our time or something like that. And you just go in, you tell any time, once I've done the dinner, once in that, we can have our time, 10 minutes, just 10 minutes even, if sometimes they want a bit more. And you just sit with them like in their bedroom or in your bedroom, nothing on, no phones, no cooking, no cleaning the cupboards, nothing. And you just listen to them. I think that can really make up the gap for not being at home when they get home from school because actually, I mean, I, I suspect this psychologist is quite wealthy to be able to yeah. say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's more or less hinting you give up you give up your job. Yeah, you? well, almost. <laughs> but, but, um, and another, we're going to wrap up now on her comments, but one thing that really stuck with me is ask yourself, is your 15-year-old son or daughter angry or anxious and I think it's really important to remember mm. this when you're presented with anger in a teacher we I can think of someone I know whose son is struggling with something uh, you know in their life and it's presenting itself as anger every time there's an attempt to reach out to it and all this kind of stuff mm. and it's really hard to unpack and then once the, the, this, this person got to the bottom of it it was based on a fear it was based on being scared it was based on worry and, you know, and I think that's really important. You know, you know, this kid's parents sort of sat with it and has tried to work well, their way around yeah. what the problem is. But yeah. 
I have the perfect example of that in you. What? When you are anxious, oh. you are very tight. Right. That's the word I would say. And I'm like, I know that you're going to be... I mean, for years, I just thought, oh, God, he's just in such a bad mood. I've worked out now, it's often when you're very anxious about something, that you, you're highly irritable, you're very, like, sensitive to everything. And, you know, you're, you're an adult with an understanding of, your, of psychology, but you, do, you are an adult that really, really suffers with anxiety. So a child that hasn't even been able to work that connection out... And that's why, you know, I, I feel so sad when people say, like, oh, they've got real anger issues, that child. I always think, oh, what are they worrying about? Yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, anger issues has become something where we dismiss feelings. Yeah. These are big feelings that are going on if a child has got, uh, oh, they've got anger issues. Yeah. <laughs> and in many ways, you know, how they manage that and how you manage them managing that anger at such a formative age... It's a huge responsibility because really it, it yeah. could creep into behaviour that's very hard to steer yeah. back in that adult life. I mean, I think there's almost a new series of podcasts about being uh, the parents of adult children. I mean, I saw mm. a piece the other day about the, the problems of being parents of adult children. I think we should hear from the kids. Uh, yeah. Let's listen to Carlitos first. Raising a teenager in the age of anxiety can be quite difficult, as many of you know. Um, I think we are exposed to so much now, especially with access to the internet and our phones and things like that. Us kids have become overwhelmed from a young age because it is the young age that we're introduced to these devices. Um, if you think about it, many, many people didn't have phones before we were born and while there was anxiety around it was more suppressed until recently when everyone started talking about mental health um, I read this article and I think there's a lot of good advice in it and I agree with the fact that parents should always be there for us when we need them um, we're still young and we're still learning and that's the sort of role model we need to show us the do's and don'ts of society. Um, as a generation, there's just so much anxiety because I think we're overthinking things, you know. We overthink situations. I think we overthink the situations and then that leads to us feeling anxious and, like I said, overwhelmed. Um, parents need to be there to guide their children through adolescence through the teenage years um you know this stage in our lives is the first time that we have sort of control of our lives if that makes sense um we're, we're morphing into adults so it's everything is new to us and it's nice to sort of have a guide um it's you know it's nice to have family time with you know, your mum or your dad or whatever. Uh, and I like having family time. I've always thought that it was important. We may not admit it and we may not seem like it, but we do crave that kind of structure and family time. We do crave it and so on. Um, and the article's spot on when talking about feelings and telling parents that it's right to support your child and understand their feelings and most importantly validate the feelings you know there's nothing worse than telling someone how you feel or what mood you're in or how you've been if you've been feeling depressed or upset or whatever and and then they completely disregard you so you know we like you to hear us and we like you to understand maybe you don't share the same experience but it's nice to hear you know oh yes i can understand that you must feel blah 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 so on you know, um, and the article also said um, that excellence isn't important. I think this is really important because I think so many of us feel the need to best ourselves with pressures from teachers at school to feeling the need to compete with friends and get better grades than them. And, you know, with the fact that you want your parents to be proud, it's just a lot. And, 
And that's why I, I agree it's important to be there and fully support your child no matter what level they are. Because we need to feel like there's someone underneath us pushing us up to the top, helping us, not feeling like we're drowning and the gap is closing and no one's coming down to reach us and, you know, help. Um, and that ties into anxiety. I think as a generation, anxiety has been suppressed for so long. And like I said, only recently it's deemed okay to say that you're not okay. But I think as a generation, we deal with it in many different ways. Um, we work really hard as a generation. And this generation as a whole is probably as clever as, as it's ever been. And we've revolutionized multiple industries, but we don't take time to evaluate ourselves or to check in with ourselves. And I think this is why the path to success can be quite foggy. Um, you know, in the end, every person is worried about something different. I don't know if there's one collective thing that everyone fears. We all have our own anxieties and we want parents to be around to assure us that everything is going to be all right. Wow. How many times did you say we need our parents around? That was really interesting. Well, I think, I think something I got from that, which I think we all fall foul of as parents of teenagers, I mean, as humans, let's forget we're parents, if you're presented with another human being who's disagreeable, moody, constantly downbeat, I mean, <laughs> sounds like a description of me with you, um, at some point, you kind of just want to avoid them. Mm. So at some point, you just think, I don't want to hear the sound of them oh, come no. down the stairs. And I think... What are they going to be like? Yeah, and I think one of the major things... I'm not suggesting for a minute, that's what Carlitos' parents do, by the way. But I do think we have to be careful as parents that we, we don't just start avoiding the difficult stuff because it's difficult to talk to teenagers. Yeah. I think in many regards... You have to have such patience. You have to have more patience than you did when they were yeah, toddlers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, We thought it would be easier yeah, when they are teens. God, it just gets harder. I just want to give up. <laughs> You're not allowed I'm to. sitting here talking like a fucking expert. I don't know a fucking... <laughs> I keep forgetting this is confessions. I'm trying to sit here like I've got some vague grip on this fucking parenting. <laughs> and I haven't a clue. <laughs> haven't a clue. As we always say to our girls, we're just adult children trying to work it out. No, I'm slightly <laughs> frightened by how much of a clue I haven't got. I know, you're clueless, love. Yeah, it's just <laughs> desperately difficult. But I do think that kind of came out of there. You're right, he was talking a lot about parents, wasn't he? Um, Shall we listen to some of the messages that have come Well, I was going to go to Maddie. Well, I think it's nice to have messages okay. in between. Because right. otherwise think? we've got a double dose of teenager True. in one okay. go. Well, Claire <laughs> says, it's breaking my heart to see my daughter struggle. She doesn't want to go to school. I think oh. that kicks up the whole school rule. The school I think anxiety. we're going to do a whole podcast a on whole school refusal okay, and yeah. school anxiety. Uh, Fentanomy, uh, really listen to the child's feelings without replacing them with your own adult take on it. Good, oh, good tip. That's exactly what I used to do. And it's so important. That's yeah. really, really <clears throat> difficult one. You have to, you really have to shift your mindset for that. And also don't hijack what they're going through with I your know, own experiences. I've done, I think done that, that. I know, I, I, I have to confess you have, yeah. I mean, I... Well, I, you do. I, you know, no, don't say just me. Well, I've so always admitted yes, it I, three times. You are, yeah, yeah. you do. You're <laughs> simple. It's just that every now and then when I hear you admit something like that, I think, yeah, no, that's, that's so true. No, I mean, you know, you can end up hijacking some, you know, they need to have ownership of their yeah, experience. Yeah, they don't want to know, say, you say, oh, I've done, oh, that was exactly the same as me, because yeah. it's not exactly the same as me. Um, Tra-la-la, uh, very anxious 15-year-old. 15 Best thing for her is to sit and listen and not give answers straight away to try mm. to help fix the anxiety. Exactly. Very hard not to try to wrap them up and run away with them. Yes. Must give a shout out to her PE teacher at school. He's amazing with her at school when she has a panic attack. He's offered for her to come and seek him out and he will walk around the school with her quietly and has given her space in the PE department office that she can just come and sit in. She doesn't even oh. need to speak to anyone there just to give her space. He is amazing. Oh, our, our kids' um, school has a, a quiet room as well, don't yeah, they? And, and I amazing. think that's so lovely. You just hold up something in class and you can be taken off yeah. and have some safety time. Uh, 
Eliza Blue, I have everyone I love under one roof. I'm lucky compared to some and count my blessings. Oh, that's nice. Mm. Uh, 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 Carrie Doherty, two kids anxious due to starting college secondary. We listened, hugged and cried together. After crying together, I had to be honest and admit we were anxious too mm. about COVID and the world. I, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on parents to just pretend they, they're all right all the time. I think it's a balancing act. It's a really tricky balancing act between... You know, a kid can become quite distressed if you're distressed. But at the same time, they do need to know you're human. Yeah, and they do know what's going on. So it's that balance between not projecting your anxiety onto them or giving them too much information, but also not saying to them, oh, well, everything's going to be absolutely fine when they know that it's not, because yeah. that's scary for them. Shelley Riddler, I have a feeling of just totally being overwhelmed all the time. Oh, oh, bless you. Bless you. Uh, Carrie Doherty says again, let them express their emotions. Um, Jackie Strack says, my granddaughter is 12 and suffers from really bad anxiety Aww. triggered by school mostly. Well, Jackie. Oh, well, we know your pain we'll on that. We shouldn't say that. that because it's your pain. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, we've yeah, had a similar quite. experience with, um, with our girls when they were smaller and it is incredibly painful. Yeah. It really is. Uh, pear drop. No, my grandson is getting bullied bad at school. School Aww. not doing anything to help. No. I, th- I do think that these, these, we should talk about these on, um, like you say, on a whole chat about school anxiety oh, school specifically. Anxiety, yeah. yeah. Um, anonymous, I've struggled with anxiety since about 12 or 13, which was a surprise as I'm so laid back normally. A lot of my th- friends through school also suffered, and I really think that young people who struggle with anxiety aren't taken seriously. Mm. As some tend to think, what have we got to be anxious about? Mm. I agree. I think there's not, you know... That dismissal is very painful. Imagine as an adult how you'd feel if somebody just dismissed your feelings and told you, oh, oh, that's not not the case because you're 45. So, and and labelling the age and the dismissal together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't be, you're 48. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I think it's interesting. So I do wonder and hope that this will just keep changing with each generation because, of course, my grandparents would have just not tolerated any of it. My mum had zero awareness of it. And now we've got some and maybe our kids will have more. Um, Jane... Jane Hawkins, my son Luca is 14 and very anxious about going to high school, new school. Um, uh, Wow, Leanne Leanne Thorogood. My 10-year-old son is saying he's scared of dying before going to sleep and the world ending. Well, that's not surprising the world the way it is. God. Well, I know, and I remember being frightened of nuclear war when I was a kid, but the world ending, that's a little bit like chicken licking licking the sky. And I don't think you can, even though it might seem totally unrelated to the real world, though it's not necessarily. I think one has to sort of deal with it as real, mm. in as real a fashion as you would say mm. bullying or something like that. Um, Emma Carter, I, have, I feel I've really let my youngest down. He struggles with social anxiety, but due to the pandemic and shielding, we've gone back to him not wanting to leave the house. It's a struggle to try and convince him to even see his doctor. He's 24, missing out. He's on the autistic spectrum. I have no support and feel hopeless due to my own health. I feel I'm doing just doing a really shitty job. I doubt that very much, doubt Emma. You are very a very much. sweet, kind person. Yeah. And I doubt that very much. But you are obviously facing huge challenges. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, em Leanne, it's hard to hear some of their worries when there's when there's some of them. I have two. Mm, yeah, when you share the same worries. Very trying to reassure good point. That's a very yeah. good point. And, more, never more so than when we were in COVID. You know, your kid's asking mm. you what's going to happen and you at the back of your eyes going, I've got a fucking clue. Um, or worried about the harassment they get in the street. Absolutely. That's my big thing. It's like, yeah, I know what that bloody feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Lady, Lady Carmen, yes, she had a breakdown with lockdown and COVID last year. Now anxiety and anxious over everything. Mm. Very true. I must admit, I was driving through town the other night and there was a sort of madness on the streets that I found really, I was really anxious about it in a different way than I had been before the pandemic. Uh, Amy, I am a young person and think parents struggle to relate if they're not an anxious person. Very true, very true. That comes back to... I suppose, and if you're a parent, to, to answer that, you've got to actually hear your child mm. rather than just listen. You've mm. got to hear them because if it isn't something that you can draw on at all with your own experience, then you have to think, oh, this is something really new and I'm really going to hear what this feels like for this person. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think that was very much my parenting because my mum, I'm sure my mum was very anxious as a child. She didn't have the best of mm. situations and she was in the war, but she just didn't, she never had that understanding of, of, of anything about mental health. Yeah. So if we, I'd ever said anything, she would just say, oh, don't be silly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, final one, Lucy, I feel the more I hear people, this is interesting, the more I hear people talk about mental health, the more it worries me and triggers me. Mm. Well, there is that. Two, there is two that. sides to the sword. Yeah, what is absolutely. it? Double edged sword, yeah. Two sides to the same. Double edged sword. Double edged sword, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> Maddie, let's have a listen to Maddie. So, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely know um, that my generation and, you know, Kiki's generation, everything, um, are very anxious and but I wouldn't only describe it as anxiety like I'd also say it is just this kind of deep sadness I guess and almost hopelessness because of how much anxiety is kind of pumped through to us whether that's through social media or the news or just conversations um I think I, I don't, this is the problem, like, obviously, everybody is so aware now of, like, mental health, um, and people kind of know more about it now, and know ways of dealing with it, and although I know that this generation is very open around mental health, and we can talk about it quite openly, I also know that we still have, you know, really bad ways of dealing with it, um, and kind of don't deal with it. I feel like a lot of this generation tends to just fall into whatever feelings they're feeling, you know, they kind of just, yeah, fall apart if they feel too hopeless. Um, I think it's a number of things as well that obviously make us so anxious, whether it's climate change, the pandemic, just the constant negative, yeah, just the negative stuff that's constantly being pumped into the world all the time. And obviously, because we all have social media, we see that stuff 24-7, which, you know, our parents never faced, you know. And even with the news, like, it wasn't constantly on. And I feel like now there is no way of not knowing everything that's happening in the world. Um, you know, stuff like this was still happening when our parents were younger and stuff, but they just didn't know about all of it all the time. And... I just think anything happens on social media or any anything happens in the world and it's just like people jump to the negatives and I don't know, yeah, it's just a feeling of hopelessness and this kind of thing that, you know, what's the point to doing anything anymore because it just feels like we kind of have no future, you know. Um, and I think, I definitely think anxiety is probably at its worst and obviously that was because the pandemic just didn't help at all um, in any way, really. Like, mentally, people really struggled. Um, addictions got a lot worse or started. And, um, yeah, I just think that that was where it just really hit everybody hard. Um, and, that, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I just feel like there's just these this constant flow of millions of things that we need to be anxious about all the time and it just kind of feels like we never get a break um even if you're not on your phone or not on social media it's the only thing everybody's talking about and it's just really hard to be positive especially in these times right now and obviously it is really hard for me to sit and say what parents can do because you know I would say you know try and be there for um your child as much as you can be there emotional support and everything but at the same time, you don't want to be too suffocating because that doesn't work with teenagers as well. And so I understand that teenagers are really hard to deal with and I do feel for the parents of this generation because everything is so new as well. It kind of feels a lot of the time, like me and everybody my age, we just kind of feel like we're the tests, the testers of this modern age, you know. Um, yeah, we just kind of feel like it was tested through us and it hasn't worked and we're like the failures, do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I do feel it's obviously a lot of anxiety, but it's also just a massive feeling of hopelessness, um, which I think was anxiety, and it's like it's not even anxiety at this point, it's just 
hopelessness because it's just like, what is the point? Um, and yeah, I just feel like everyone's sad. And I feel like I've just gotten sadder as it is, you know, just with the pandemic and just so many things have happened. But it makes me even more sad just seeing how sad everybody else is, is getting as well. Like, you know, me and my friends talk it about talk about it a lot and we'll kind of talk about old memories and look back at stuff and just be like, I was just happy then. I just don't feel that anymore, you know. And even when we do feel happy because, you know, um, restrictions are loosening and everything, it feels like a fake happiness now. And it feels like we'll never quite get ourselves back. I feel like everybody feels that they've lost themselves in these couple years and that they don't really feel they can get themselves back. Um, yeah, I, I think it is just really scary times. I think parents just need to have that, that patience with their children because I know a lot of, like, I get it that it's so difficult for parents and parents are, you know, just grown-up children. Um... But I feel like there are just certain things that you, the fact is you are a parent now and these are the sacrifices you're going to have to make, which is like being patient with your children, even if they're driving you crazy, do you know what I mean? With that being said, I, it has been a, an incredibly difficult couple of years for everybody, including other generations as well. But obviously I just feel like our age group the most is just constantly being like we're just scared to say or do anything now you know and I find that really sad um yeah but strangely I feel like the biggest kind of you know the main thing that everybody's incredibly anxious about now is climate change um and also a lot of people worrying about pandemics happening again in the future because I very much don't think I could deal with another full lockdown or something like that just I don't think and many of my friends just don't think mentally we could go through something like that again but we know stuff like that is going to happen again because of the climate so it's just all these things constantly that like pile up and pile up and it just doesn't seem like there's anything to really be positive about um yeah this sounds this sounds really deep <laughs> but um yeah I mean it really is just like how I've been feeling about our generation everything it's just sad how sad we're getting and I also wanted to add on top of all of that it will never help if a teenager has a parent that is on their back all the time um stresses them out over getting a-star grades getting a job like already starting them off with thinking that life is just this long boring thing where you're constantly having to meet these achievements um that does not help in the slightest and I don't personally understand why a parent would want to be anything more than a warm person that is there for their child when they need them instead of vicariously living through them. And I see so many of my friends whose parents are like that and they're always unhappy. They're always unhappy and it just doesn't help in any way. And I find it sad that some parents think that that way of parenting does help because I don't know a single case of it helping. Um, in my friendship group and yeah so I think it's just really it's just so important that parents stop putting so much stress on their children because they're getting enough stresses from school from social media from friendship groups from yeah society in general they don't need that added extra stress once they go home as well I like I would only if I was a parent I would only want to be that warm person that they can come back to and feel like they can say anything to them they feel comfortable around them like I would want to be that parent you know I wouldn't want to be a cold strict rigid parent <laughs> and um yeah I also think on top of all of that as a generation we're kind of made to feel guilty for feeling any way we feel do you know what I mean we just feel guilty no matter what we do especially during the pandemic it just seemed like whatever we did whether it was sticking to the rules or not we were made to feel guilty about it and guilt on top of anxiety and sadness and hopelessness and yeah self-medicating uh it doesn't all mix very well so I just think there just needs to be more delicate warm care instead of this strict, rigid way of, like, parenting or treating 
and um, yeah, and I feel like it's something that needs to happen pretty soon because I and everyone else I know is very worried about a lot of people at the moment. Oh God! Bloody hell! Can I just write? I mean, you can tell she's a lyricist, can't you? Delicate, warm care. Yeah. That's what Delicate, she... warm care. Care, care. Care. <laughs> I said care. You said care. I said care. Care. Delicate, warm care. Well, I mean... I love that. that Delicate, was... warm care. So many words that I was writing down, <clears throat> that, like a mood board. Sadness, hopelessness, relentless, guinea pigs feel like they're the first test of a, a sort of new life. And as she says, a sort of fake happiness. And I know what she means by that. Because we're, we're supposed to all be happy now yeah. because lockdown has been lifted. Yeah. But look at the state of the bloody world. You're happy Listen, if you're they don't see a future because they keep being told there's not going to be a planet here in about 10 years' time. Uh. How can you, how can an A star seem like an answer? Yeah, I know, in this weird world, it's, it's arbitrary. I mean, I know that Maddie's, there's been a lot of conversation in Maddie. Maddie's got a big, varied group of friends. And across all her different little friendship groups, there has been this conversation that is going now where they're saying, who is it that actually can tell me that if I want to lie on a beach for this short time that the planet is left and just do whatever the hell I want and not be driving myself to be this particular kind of person that's going to make my parents happy, what, why, why do I have to do that? Yeah, yeah. How, and we are not... I never hear conversations about that problem. No. I do think we have a problem in that the sort of emptiness and the facade and the arbitrariness of so many things that we have held dear, like education. I mean, if you start to unpick it all, you realise why so many of us just sign up to the system and sign up to the narrative, because actually to think otherwise and to try and swim against it is impossible. It's set up for you not to be able to think differently, but I do think we have a generation that has kind of seen through the artifice of mm. this. Mm. By force. Well, we're still trying to hold it all up, aren't we? Yeah. With but our fingertips. And but, they're going, but hang on a minute. Every time we turn the news on, we're told that it's dire out there. And I think that is the key <laughs> of an anxious generation, generation. an anxious because world. There's because there's a reason to be anxious. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense, a lot of it. Um, well, there you go, guys. I hope we haven't depressed you. Um, I depressed myself. Yeah, I'm a bit depressed, if I'm honest. Oh. I feel quite anxious. Oh, God, so do I. I, I think I might, might need toast to get me well, through this next half hour. I might need a counterintuitive way of dealing with anxiety. <laughs> guys, um, do, we love you. Thank yeah, you for sticking with us if till you the end. Um, and we will be doing school anxiety next. And thank you to everyone for their contributions. Carlitos, Maddie, and Nadia, thank you to you for being here. And uh, it's just been wonderful. Oh, shut up. Yeah, so, does that have a sign for a podcast? Well, that's it for this episode of Confessions of a Modern Parent. If you'd like to comment on any of the topics we've discussed today, we'd love you to get in touch. Use the hashtag Confessions of a Modern Parent. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Nadia Sawala. And on Instagram, it's at Nadia Sawala and family. And if you fancy getting in touch with me, it's at Mark underscore Adderley. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review, tell your friends and get involved. And you can hear more episodes of Confessions of a Modern Parent on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye! <laughs>